Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Good morning, Patty. Good morning. So listeners, today Augie has taken the episode off and I am joined once again by Dr. Patricia Sobsack. If you remember, she did an episode with us earlier about nonprofits and and taxes. Um, And I asked her back for this episode because her PhD is in human and organizational systems, which is um, for us lay people who don't understand what that degree would be. It's, It's about leadership, right? It's about leadership and organizations. Is that right, Patty? Yes, it's really how people behave in organizations. So great, because I don't know if you've noticed, but there's an election happening right now. Really? Okay. (laughs) Thanks for sharing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I I don't think you can get out of bed before somebody is saying something to you about the election. You're like, okay, leave me alone. I haven't even had coffee yet. Um, And for Augie, who drinks 74,000 cups of coffee in a day, that's, that can be painful. Mm. Um, But I wanted to, to, for us to talk today a little bit about sort of the traits that people look for in leaders mm-hmm. and, and sort of how those traits feed into how you would pick someone in an election or in, in any other organization. Like if you're one of those people who gets to pick the group that you work with in your, in your grad class or whatever, um, that's a, that can be a not life or death, but it can be the difference between an A and a C um, in a class. So I was, I was wondering what, what types of personality traits can voters look for? Well, I'm going to say this a lot, but it's, that depends. And it (laughs) depends, I mean, and that is the answer of the day, because honestly, there is no one ideal or universal agreement on who is, was, or would be the best leader in any situation, and that includes the presidency. Um, It depends because sometimes the choices people make are unconscious as well as conscious. Um, We sometimes make decisions based on who we think we know and also who we're comfortable with. Um, Someone we would want to have a beer with. And can I just say, yeah, I've had beers with lots of people. I don't want any of those people to be president. Okay. And if you're listening, people who I love, you know <laughs> you don't need to be president. Come on now. That seems like a terrible way to pick. But anyway, I, sorry, there are other things I assume that go into it as well. Absolutely. I mean, we, you know, what's happened, what I've noticed is that we have started or more predominantly equated our political preferences and choices to sports teams. And this attitude that we must win at all costs. And, and so that a winner and a loser. Mm-hmm. It's a no, it's a zero sum game. There's a winner and a loser. And, and so logic doesn't really play a lot in that kind of decision process. Um, another thing I've noticed is that sometimes we vote how our families um, vote. And, you know, I have to vote a certain way because if I don't, then my family's going to be really mad at me or I'd go against the family tradition. And what I really dislike about this idea is that it really gives candidates a pass. In other words, if you always vote a certain way, then they don't have to earn your vote. And I think that's really sad that we're not, you know, asking our you know, candidates to earn our vote instead of just handing it over because they're of a certain party. Um, you know, and there's also this idea of name recognition. You know, often people vote because the name is familiar. Um, so incumbents have a great, you know, advantage. Um, they are, they benefit because they're known. And sometimes their name is known, but voters have no idea, you know, who they are and what they stand for, but they just recognize the name and they say, I'm going to vote for this person. Um, so um, it go- that goes to your point of they don't have to earn your vote. They're just known. Yeah, exactly. like I'm pretty sure that if Beyonce ran for president, she would win. Probably. Because everybody in the world knows who Beyonce is. Like, if you don't know who Beyonce is, you really do live under a rock. Like, if my 80-year-old mother is like, oh, I like that new Beyonce song, I'm just saying. Yeah. 
And, and that is a really, you know, not a very good premise to make a decision as important as voting, but it, it's very common, very, very common. What do you so. think people look for in leaders? Well, I'm going to go back to my caveat uh, comment that that depends. Okay, I mean, <laughs> so it really we should just say that at the beginning of every sentence. I I think so because I mean, <laughs> if you talk to five different people, they would probably give you five different reasons why they pick their leaders. I mean, I've known people to say, "I want someone to take care of me. I want someone to tell me what to do and tell me what to think," and that's how I'm most comfortable. Um, some people want consistency in their leaders. You know, if you walk the walk and talk the talk, then I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to vote for you. Um, some people actually want a rebel, someone who can actually break up the systems. And, you know, um, and then on the other hand, some people want to maintain the status quo to they feel comfortable doing what's already and always been done a certain way. And then, of course, you have this combination of choices. Um, and, you know, because it's really hard for someone to find all the qualities they're looking for in one person. Is that true when companies hire CEOs as well? Are they, are they trying to look for specific, like, it, do different companies when they're hiring a CEO, are they looking for different specific traits? He's a killer. He's a, he's a compassionate tree hugger he's a whatever whatever and it almost always by the way I, listeners i'm using he deliberately because very few ceos of major corporations are women which is a, a topic topic we could talk about for hours but not now not um now. <laughs> but but is that same is that same set of criteria used in the sort of corporate or real world circumstance of picking leaders for for organizations? Well, I would absolutely. And I think that we go back to that depends. And so because what people say they want and what they actually hire are sometimes very different. Um, because, and a lot of it depends on who's doing the hiring. Is it a committee? Does the committee have to answer to one person? Do you want, are you in a, you know, it depends on what your company's doing. If you're really, really successful, you probably want to hire someone that's going to continue that success, someone who's not going to rock the boat. If you're failing, well, then maybe you're going to try something new. Um, and, we, and we can never disregard that sometimes we hire someone that isn't going to, that's going to make us, that's not going to be as good as us so we can look better than them. Um, because there's ego. I mean, we're human, we have egos and someone, you know, if you hire a superstar, then maybe your star isn't going to shine as brightly if that person comes on board. And so maybe you're going to choose someone who's not going to compete with you. So there's always this human factor that's part of this process that, that no one talks about a lot, but it, it plays a huge role and part in selection processes. Absolutely. You said something really interesting there. I'd like to follow up on if that's well, it's all interesting, but one point that I'd like to follow up on, which is if the company is going in a bad direction, you may hire someone completely different in, in order to sort of shake things like snow, what I call snow globing, right? You're going to grab the company, shake it up and see what happens to it. Um, so that seems to me like a voter behavior as well, right? Like, I don't like where this country is going and we're doing crazy things and I wanna, I wanna grab this country and snow globe it, shake it up and see what happens, um, which seems to be that we do that sometimes in elections, right? We're going along, we're going along, we're going along and then all of a sudden we're like, no, we need to shake things up a little bit. We need to, we need to bring on the, the snow globe. Um, so that, that's fascinating to me that, that what happens in corporate or in um, organizational hiring is similar to what happens in voter hiring, if you will, because that's basically what you're doing. It is. It's hiring. As a voter. Yeah, I, you know, and thinking about needs, I mean, you want someone who's going to work for you. I mean, they're hired. You're, they're working for you. A lot of people don't look at the presidency like that, but many people do. It's like, what is this person going to do for me? How are they going to take care of the things that I that matter to me. And so they're, you know, hiring an employee. Absolutely. So that's interesting looking at the at the election as sort of a an interview process. Mm -hmm. 
right? Is it this is, a person is. who, if they were sitting across from the desk from you, would you hire them for, mm -hmm. for the job of what you perceive the presidency to be about? Do you think that it's um, that generationalness? Wow. That your generation plays into, I just made up a word. I'm sorry. We do that here on this podcast. Um, that your generation has a, has a, an influence on what you look for trait wise? Well, I think it does. I mean, it depends, of course, but, but yeah, I think, I think you can't deny certain things about, you know, um, what someone knows at a certain age is going to be different than maybe 10 years later. Um, it can be tied to specific age groups and generations, but then again, there's always, you know, situations where individuals that will vote very differently than the conventional wisdom would indicate. So, and then the other thing too, it's, I find interesting is our votes are private, right? We don't, we walk in that voting booth or sign that, you know, absentee ballot or whatever privately. I mean, that it's supposed to be a private act. And so, you know, some people may vote one way and then talk about it differently. I mean, exit polls have been wrong, right? <laughs> and so, oh, yeah, yeah, well, we need they, to think about that. I know that there's pollster bias, right? You tell the pollster the thing you want the pollster you think the pollster wants to hear sometimes yeah. humans like for other humans to like them mm -hmm. like we're we generally speaking are social creatures and want to be liked um I, it's funny to me that you say uh that it's a private act it's supposed to be a private act mm -hmm. but um my parents go in the voting booth together which yeah. i found out to my horror two days ago when i was oh talking about it. i was like what she said no we go in there together I said why she said oh I don't know we just you know do and I was and I I, I said well and she said well we don't usually agree I said well do you fuss in the in the voting in the booth and she said sometimes and I said okay but I it never even occurred to me but in part because I am single and I'm an extraordinarily independent individual in that way I wouldn't I would never even entertain somebody walking in the booth with me. But Augie takes Mac in the booth with him so that she can see the, the process. He wants her to see him vote because mm -hmm. he wants her to get into the habit of saying, oh, well, we just go and vote. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. um, and he, she told the polling ladies the last time they were there that if they had coffee and donuts, more people would come and vote more often. And I agree <laughs> yeah. with that. He had, to explain the, <laughs> he had to explain the one vote per person thing. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about that and thinking if I could go back to my younger self and say, oh, vote this way instead of that way. Um, but, you know, the me now is very different than the me when I was, mm -hmm. I, I think I was 20, 19 when my first presidential, I can't remember yeah. uh, when my first presidential election rolled around and uh, Anyway, um, so, oh, sorry, go ahead. What I was going to say is that, I mean, I'll just throw this in if we want to um, add it and we can leave it, but there's actually a famous quote that at one time was attributed to Winston Churchill, but I think it's been uh, debunked and we don't know where it comes from, but it kind of speaks to that. And the quote is this, this is not my words, this is a quote, that if you're not liberal when you're 25, you have no heart. If you're not conservative by the time you're 35 you have no brain so that that's been floating around i think since i've heard and i did some research on it since about the eight, late 1800s so um so this thought about you know your question about generational and do they vote a certain way so i thought that was kind of interesting that, that this has been talked about and thought about for you know hundreds and hundreds of years and and so we're not the first people to think about this <clears throat> so well, and I'm assuming that part of that is that you, when you're young, you're um, generally, I'm just generalizing here, folks, so don't come for me. Yeah. Um, when you're young, you have a, you're very emotional about, about fairness in the world and justice and those kinds of things. And sort of as you get older, you get more cynical is part of it. Um, but also part of it, I think, is that you also, you, you become more part of the system. You, you've gotten your education and now you're at a job and you've got kids and you've got health care and you've got a home to worry about. Right? Like, you're more um, established. 
Yeah, thank you. You're more established. And so maybe that's, and it's funny that those equate to liberal and conservative, because I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I, I, I know that it's not your quote, but it is, yeah. but it is interesting to me because what it talks, it, what it speaks to is the sort of passion that you feel when you're very young, mm -hmm. um, that you, that maybe as you get a little older, some of that passion sort of shifts uh, or shifts directions because you you focus it in in different ways um, yeah, or, you know what I was what I also think I mean is that when you if you're 25 and you're not working yet you're in graduate school and it sounds terrific let's we want everyone to have health care we want everyone to have you know I mean you have causes but you're not really invested in terms of you haven't taken on a job but when you start working and start paying taxes you're you may shift your thinking you may not you may continue your path of you know equality and and um, you know and and want to pursue you know the things that you were important to you they may continue to be important but i think that i always and i, I have nephews that um you know, when they were much younger, very, very, you know, we want this, we want that. And now and they're in their 30s and they're going, huh, they take out 40% of my money for taxes. Huh. And, and so this, you know, kind of reality. That? Yeah, yeah, this right. reality kind of hits home. And how do I want that spent? And how and how expensive is this thing that I dreamed that we could do? Um, uh, so yeah, there's, there's some real, um, there does, I think, come over time certain shifts. And then some things you you believe passionately your entire life, and that's mm -hmm. great. And some things you don't engage with at all your mm -hmm. entire life, no matter what. Somebody's like, doesn't this drive you crazy? And you're like, not really. No, I'm, yeah. I'm over yeah. here eating a muffin. You know, like yeah. I just don't, <laughs> yeah. that thing doesn't drive me crazy. So I guess it all depends on what drives It comes back to it depends. It depends. Um, everything yeah. about this so so thinking about people's experience as leaders um and how we evaluate their experience in terms of politics when we look at presidential or senator or gubernatorial experience um how how should people be looking at that as far as like how do they evaluate when you're thinking in terms of hiring these people, right? Because mm -hmm. right. going back to our organization, going back to politics as the act of hiring someone to work mm -hmm. for you, right? What, how should we be looking at, you know, because you're, you know, on your resume, there's like your, your experience and then your education, I mean, your education and then your experience mm -hmm. and your experience should be sort of the highlights of the best of kind of. One would um, hope so. <laughs> how do we, how do we do that for politicians? Well, in some ways it's easy, not always, but it's easy because some people that are running for office have previous experiences, right? They've been at a lower level, they've had other offices. And so we actually can look at the record. Um, we can look at, you know, their previous actions, any legislation that they've, you know, started, what they write about, what they talk about in public. Um, and all of that's gonna be on their website probably, right? Well, not all of it. What's interesting is that, you know, it's like your resume, they put the things on there that are going to be the most appealing, because of course, we're human and not everything we do and say and litigate and write about is going to be universally liked or accepted. So it's it's picking and choosing. It's like writing a resume or the websites and such. Um, but we also have if they've been in office before we have a voting record, right? We can see, you know, where, especially a senator, representative, you know, where we really can see what they um, what they've done in the past. I think is always very interesting, um, and I always like the idea of, you know, we can listen, you know, to what people say, and then see what they actually do, and see if those are consistent. That's very very interesting to me is to to watch and to see what people say they're going to do, and then what they actually do is sometimes very different. So um, if we're talking about people that are new, new candidates, um, you know, they're a little harder to assess because there's not as much of information out there. They're, you know, what they put out there is what they want you to see because maybe they haven't held office, they haven't voted, they haven't written, they haven't legislated. So 
uh, you know, they're a little harder to assess. And when we think about, you know, people new to the process, you know, and voters, you know, some voters may want a new person with fresh eyes. I mean, you know, we can talk all day about term limits. Um, I have very strong feelings about that, not the place and time to say that, but, but some people want people with fresh eyes. Um, some people just may want a, a small change in the party position. You know, they just want to tweak. They don't want to like that snow globe it. They want to just tweak something. <laughs> um, and they think the new person can help in that process. Uh, some people do look at people's education and previous leadership, leadership experiences. You know, have they been, you know, you know, some people come from a university background. Have they been a department chair? You know, what have they written about? So they have, you know, and where do they get educated? What is their degree in? So they have some ways of evaluating them. Um, and the other thing too is that, you know, we talk about new people, but it's really, really hard to kick out an incumbent. It is really hard to do that. That takes an extra bit of effort and change to do that because an incumbent already has name recognition and many people will walk on a voting booth and look at the list and go, oh, I know that name. That's who I'm going to pick. And so the new person of doesn't have a chance in that situation. <laughs> yeah, we've been harping here on the podcast about researching your ballot. Mm -hmm. Research your ballot before you go in, figure out who these people are. Um, I like your idea that looking at their education and their um, and what their degree is in, but also like did they have, did they work with student organizations? Did they work with um, nonprofits? Did they do whatever it was that they did before? Almost nobody, I think it, it uh, President Trump aside, almost no one um, runs for presidential, the presidency without having done some, in fact, I think he's the first without having been elected to an office previous to that. But you might get a house member who's not run in a previous and I'm not saying that house members are less than the president please don't if you're a house member and you listen to this I love you too um it, it's not that so much as that's just a that's a two-year position and so a lot of people think that's an entryway into mm -hmm. right like I'm going to be a house member for a couple of years and I'm going to be or a couple of terms and a senator for a couple of terms and then I'm going to attempt the presidency if they have those goals if not mm -hmm. I mean some people have been in the house their entire career um, mm -hmm. but I agree with you that the incumbent is that not only do they have name recognition they also have infrastructure mm -hmm. right they have a staff that's used to doing this they've yeah. run before they mm -hmm. know in the district and they know where the hot spots are and the cold spots are yeah. um, which a new person coming in struggles to to know where the hot and cold spots are. They struggle mm -hmm. with their infrastructure. Um, and unless they have a lot, a lot of money, they, they struggle with getting their name out there. Um, although I think you're right that sometimes the desire to snow globe can really benefit a new person. Mm -hmm. right? really Absolutely. Sort of, yep. You know, it, I think that that's what happened to Eric Cantor and um, Dave Bratt in, mm -hmm. in my district mm -hmm. uh, was people were tired of Eric Cantor for mm -hmm. whatever reason and they wanted to shake it up and they picked a professor from a local university yep. to be their their member of Congress and um, that's fascinating to me that's mm -hmm. a fascinating sort of they're like well he runs classes how hard can it be he could run the house of representatives you know, like <laughs> and i'm like well he's not going to be the one who does that but anyway i mean like that's not how seniority works but right um but yeah it was a fascinating election for that sort of guy who comes out of nowhere mm -hmm. because uh people were wanting a change yeah, I mean, I, it, that was the first election, I think, when I moved here from California was that one. And that was in my district as well. So that was really interesting to watch um, what I heard, because, again, I was fairly new to, you know, Virginia and Virginia politics. But the word on the street was that people were mad that Eric Cantor kind of turned their back on them. This is what they this is the word on the street again anecdotal not scientific so right. i'm not saying we don't have is, polls folks we don't have so polls. if eric Cantor's <laughs> listening to this we don't have polls we're just <laughs> Bridget, but it was just interesting to me to right. hear what people said and there were a lot of people that were actively engaged in 
you know, replacing Eric Cantor. And I mean, to the point where in my neighborhood, people knocked on doors and um, came out and talked to us about it. It was really interesting. I, I find that fascinating. I mean, if you can kind of step back and get all the emotion out of it, it's a fascinating topic in and of its own to, to watch how that happens. So yeah, I'm with you. You could talk well, all day on that. And that particular instance to go off on a small tangent, um, was I think also people thought that he was much more looking to step into a bigger national role mm -hmm, I think and so. that sort mm -hmm. of big for your boots kind of thing bothers people at the mm -hmm. local level because Absolutely. again they've hired you right so it's the kind of thing you were talking about with shining stars mm -hmm. I need you to shine but I need you to shine your light on me because mm -hmm. I'm your you. boss and <laughs> yeah. I'm you know, and when you shine your light on yourself, there's only so much light to go around and I'm standing in the darkness, right? Like, like hey, so I can yo. see where that would annoy people. Yeah. 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 People get upset. So. Yeah. That's an interesting, I it comes back to what you were saying earlier about that sort of hiring somebody, um, but expecting certain them to, to do certain things not for themselves but for the greater good either for the company or for the organization or for the study group or for the <laughs> absolutely district or whoever so do you think that people look for themselves in a leader or do you think they look for the opposite of themselves in a leader because i'm going to just say i should not be president of the united states despite what i tell augie almost every week about wanting to be president of the united states i probably shouldn't be because i don't know that i am educated enough you know what i mean like i don't know so i'm looking for someone different than myself so yeah. i'm not looking for somebody to have a beer with i'm looking for someone who's more wonky and sort of knows a lot about the world um, mm -hmm. about business and about trade and about foreign relations and all that stuff i i think i've got a fairly decent handle on the domestic stuff mm -hmm. but that's half of the president's job right right that's right. the other half is huge and not something i think i have so i'm kind of looking for somebody different from me but mm -hmm. What yeah, and, and, well, I think I think that's true. I think again, it depends. Um, you know, I would say that some people really, you know, feel good in their own skin and they're happy, but they know that they want to have someone different. Some people vote for someone different than them because they're not happy. They don't like their circumstances, and so they think that voting for someone different might help their situation, make them better. Um, but you know, I, I know people that feel like, um, you know, that they know everything they're, you know, and they, they, you know, they're the, and so they, you know, pick candidates that believe exactly the same way they do. They think they're the smartest people in the room. And so they seek out candidates that have the same values and beliefs. Um, and, and they're in, in that there's always this comfort factor. Um, you know, some people, again, we talked about the beer, but sometimes it's just comfort that, you know, we just, you yeah, have that person, you know, and I, and I, you know, one thing I do want to say is that I hear people talk about candidates, you know, because I'm interested in this and I've heard the word nice. Oh, that person seems so nice. And what I want to just remind people is that nice isn't always good. So we need to kind of separate how someone comes across, you know, maybe in their ads or how they're promoted, but are there ideas in the way they move, you know, do things. Is that really good? Is that the good that you want for your for your vote? Um, and the extra thing that I think is so interesting, and we've talked about this before, is voter consistency. Um, I am so fascinated by people that take a really strong stance in one area. You know, this is I, you know, I this is what I believe, and then they have a completely different perspective on something else, and so quite, you know, they're inconsistent, the, you know, in terms of who they want, you know, and, and to vote for and then what they really believe. And I find that so interesting. That's an area that I would like to learn more about is this idea of, you know, you have two very important issues and they're absolutely contrary to each other. <laughs> so. I, I have to admit that occasionally that's me. Mm -hmm. um, 
I I think a lot of humans are like that. I think we're we we have we have I have a very strong belief about this thing. Oh, but I also have a very strong belief about this thing. Yeah. And you're like, well, how do those two things go together? They don't, but in my head they work. Yeah. Um, or you know, um, but I I think that that what you said there about nice versus good, mm-hmm. that so rings true to me in terms of I'm going to keep coming back to this because you've you've put this in my head now as this brilliant. Okay. So thank you. This idea of hiring, mm-hmm. like I've hired people. And, and I've had people who came in who were nice, really nice. And I'm like, oh, they would be so nice to work with. But then I've had people who come in who are stiffer and maybe they're not as warm. But man, they're, they're bona fides. And, and when I've hired those people, they've been really good at the job. So it, it doesn't necessarily mean mm-hmm. that somebody who gives you the warm fuzzy can be good at the job. Some people mm-hmm. who don't give you the warm fuzzy turn out to be some of the best people I've hired mm-hmm. because they were incredibly competent. They're incredibly smart and got the job done the way I needed it done. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that that we're going to just keep, I'm going to keep coming back because now I'm obsessed with this idea. Well, um, just think, think about it. I mean, I have, you know, when I came to VCU, I mean, I met a lot of people and, you know, my, my, theory is the first six months don't trust anybody right because I just because I don't know who is just being nice and who is actually really really good and so I just kind of withhold judgment I kind of assess and step back and you know when you're new you can be a little more objective and I remember um, someone that that I met that was really not very nice to me right and I was very offended and felt like huh and that person turned out to be one of my best people I've ever worked with and one of my best allies. And so you just don't know you it's the nicest can be, anyone can be nice for a certain amount of time. I truly believe that. (laughs) But at some point, you know, the real person comes through and then you go, holy crap, you know, this person did this and, and they treated someone like that. And that's not what I expected. And so it's a really interesting thing to think. And I have to, I can't take credit for that thought actually came from Adam Grant. He wrote a great book called give and take. And one of the things he talked about is this idea between nice and good. And when I read that, I went, wow, that is, I mean, it really resonated with me to just think about that. It doesn't form all my decisions, but it does keep me, I notice it. I guess that's what I would say. I just notice it more than I did before. Well, it, I'm going to liken it to something that some of our listeners will actually appreciate. Um, think Tinder right? Think dating apps where people present to you the person they want to present to you and they seem like a perfectly nice, perfectly wonderful person and you go out on a date with them and they're a monster, right? Like that happens and it is not an infrequent thing that happens Yeah, because people are able to present the image that they want to present for whatever length of time that it takes to sort of woo you mm-hmm. um and um the one good thing about politicians that we we do have term limits for our politicians they're called elections and and i know that it's hard to oust an incumbent but it's not impossible ask lindsey graham who right now is in the <laughs> fight for his political life in south carolina and who would have seen that coming like right. so 2020 is the year of huh because everything about 2020 makes me say that. It, actually, everything about 2020 makes me curse, but we don't curse on this podcast. No, we don't. So I'm going to say, huh, instead. <laughs> okay. Um, so now I'm thinking about my local politicians and my local elections in terms of hiring. Is that, do you think they're different than the the sort of national and, and that kind of level? Or do you think they're similar? Well, I mean, I think they're both. I, again, it, it depends. All the things we talked about for president, senator, governor still apply, but there is a much more personal aspect to these elections. And, and I mean, because a local candidate may live in your neighborhood, their kids may go to school with your kids. You may see them at church. And so there is such a more personal aspect to this 
than a national election where you know you'll probably never meet a presidential candidate, maybe not even a gubernatorial or senatorial candidate, but city council or state representatives, they can be your neighbors. And so it's kind of like the, I think about the old, you know, older days in the small town where you know, you behaved yourself because, you know, everyone knew your family. And so if you did something bad, they were going to go back and tell your mom. Yep. Um, and, and so this has kind of reminds me of that where, you know, you got to watch your P's and Q's because these are your neighbors. You can't be out there doing crazy stuff and not get someone to notice or someone to, you know, it's, it's possibly more likely going to come back to you in, in a local election than in a, a national election because of that very reason. Um, and we, I think some people don't remember that or think about that sometimes and the things they do. Uh, we've had some interesting things happen here in Virginia with some of our local candidates, but um, you know, and, and I think it also is really, it's a little harder to be mean or negative about local candidates because, you know, these are people that you may interact with, <laughs> if not now, maybe in the future. A lot harder to, you know, walk back really bad, evil, awful, derogatory comments if it's someone you're going to run into in the grocery store. So <laughs> choose wisely. <laughs> I I was gonna I, I was just gonna ask you about that actually. So if, thank you for going there. It seems to me that for the most part, now that doesn't mean every election because some elections can get pretty hostile mm -hmm. going for. Um, house and senate but i agree with you that at the local level that doesn't seem to be the case there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of that person for city council they smack puppies you know like like they don't you know like we don't say that because you're right you're gonna run into richmond only has a certain number of people and and there's and and then cut down to the certain number of people who are in politics and mm -hmm. that's a relatively small number of people. So if right. you talk smack about somebody, that's going to eventually, you're going to eventually run into them somewhere and then you're going to be face to face and you're going to be like, um, hey, and then you're like, so I saw your ad, you want to talk about it? And you're going to be like, no, I want to die right now, thanks. Right, like, yeah, you have to think about that. You're right mm -hmm. at a very different level than you do if you're going to get to go off to Washington and pretty much not be around those people. Because while most of the representatives in Virginia probably live at home for the most part, right, uh, th that's not true of very many other states, right? If you're right. If you're from Ohio, you're probably living in Washington. You're probably not, or, you know, California. You're definitely living in Washington. You're not traveling back and forth that much. So you're right. You're not going to run into the people that you, that you, that you were rude about. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about the, you know, the, the school board, that you're going to see that person at the PTA meeting. Yep. yep. So so keep that in mind, local people running for office. Um, you might want to be careful about who you who you talk junk about if you're uh, if you're thinking that you might run into them at the grocery store because then they're armed with a heavy cart. Um, yep. So so when you so um, that leads me to sort of leadership in groups, right? Mm -hmm. sort of this idea of city council or the school board or right people who have to work in a in a group situation mm -hmm. and again I'm, I'm coming back to the sort of the your your hiring analogy how do we figure out who works well in a group because i i have struggled with that when i've been hiring because mm -hmm. Contrary to what people believe, librarianship is not individual librarians yelling shh all the time, right? We have a lot of stuff that we work on in groups that we work on collaboratively. Mm -hmm. How do you figure out who's good at that? Well, it's, it is hard. Um, and, you know, because a lot of the decisions that are made in a city council or a school board are group decisions. I mean, you're one vote in a you know, of 12, of seven, of nine or whatever. So these, you know, so we're electing people to 
you know, one of two things that we go back to, it depends because some people want those people to be feisty and to fight hard and, and that's the hill they want to die on and other people just want to say let's just play nice in the sandbox. Um, how do you figure out who's good at that? Well, if they've been in office before, that's one way. If you've interacted with them at a PTA meeting or some other group in a church setting, you know, then you have some idea about how they work. But it's, it's an interesting thing. And you know, when I think of hiring, so one of the, the tips that I give to people who are hiring and you want to find out how someone responds in a group setting is to give them behavioral questions. In other words, ask them about a time when they worked in a group and it was successful and then ask them about a time they worked in a group and it was a failure and see how they answer that. Because I will tell you, I've had some candidates in my lifetime that have said when everything failed, it was all their fault and it wasn't my fault. And I went, oh, good information. Thank you for sharing. In other words, someone who perhaps maybe isn't willing to take responsibility or if the project went really well to say, well, it was only because of me that that project went really well. I mean, you're not gonna be able to totally assess you know, how someone responds in that setting, but you can get some clues. And then also when you check for references, especially if you're hiring, and that's different than a city council and a, and a school board, but to really try and get some outside opinions to say, this is what I hear, this is what I see. Um, and you know, I wanna find out if that's tracking and try and get some, some more information. So doing your homework is really important. And you know, some people would say, well, you know, these aren't huge decisions, but I would disagree. I think they're all important decisions. We wanna know, you know, we wanna have a sense of how someone is going to respond in that setting. Um, we sometimes like someone who disagrees. We want that feisty person. Other times, again, we just wanna get work done. So let's just, you know, unless it's a hill you wanna die on, let's just keep going. So it just, it really, really depends. And it's so interesting. I think every person would have a different answer for that. Um, but so. It seems to me like, um, and we're past the primary season, but it seems to me like the primaries with the debates mm -hmm. are one way where you can see that. How does a person handle themselves in a group of that's hostile? Mm -hmm. Right. Because theoretically, yeah. <laughs> all those people are hostile to each other. Right. And how do you handle yourself versus how do you how do you concede certain things mm -hmm. i'm going to concede that that's a good point like if politicians ever said that i probably would fall over in a oh faint. yeah that you're in not going to hear that very often dead faint. yeah yeah but wouldn't it be amazing if in a debate you could say you know what i don't disagree with three quarters of what you just said but here's what i disagree with mm -hmm. and pull out the point and talk about a specific point but give props to the person for saying 75% yeah. we agree on Right, yeah, like because yeah. they do. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to find the nuance mm -hmm. in in a lot of those situations. It's not so hard when now they're from two different parties, like what we're seeing now with the debates. That's a little easier because they're mm -hmm. they tend to be um, uh, easier in some ways, harder in others because they're pol polarized. But right, um, right. <clears throat> but yeah, I think I think your comment about the debates is really a good one, and that that is a good space it's one it's one data point it's a good place to kind of get a sense of that um but i always think about debates especially now that they're all televised as being kind of you know people are propping themselves up and trying to look presidential or senatorial or whatever they're trying to be and so yeah. you know i i don't know how much of that is their real persona or how much they're just pumped up to make sure they get their word in no matter what so yeah, it's performance yeah. art. Yeah, it's I mean, performance art. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which is, but at the local levels, not so much. At mm -hmm. the local levels, it is more about nuance and and um, so that might be a, a way to separate those two things out. Mm -hmm. The the other thing that um, that strikes me about things like city councils and board of electors you said it mm -hmm. um, and i'm going to repeat it because it bears repeating those positions decide your daily life like mm -hmm. they are not inconsequential right you need to know who these people are and you need to align them as much as you can with somebody who has similar beliefs about what you think needs to happen at the local level um 
you know, all politics is local, right? Tip O'Neill said mm-hmm. that, and, and it's and it's absolutely true. Absolutely true. The zoning in your neighborhood is going to decide where a school goes, where an apartment building goes, where a shop goes. Um, you know, all of that kind of the 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 bike lanes that are now being put in Richmond. That's huge. And that's mm-hmm. new, and that's because this city council and the last couple of city councils have really cared about that issue. Mm-hmm. And in part, people who cycle have organized themselves and tried to push for candidates who wanted to have more safe cycling in Richmond, right? Like that's a huge local public issue. Mm-hmm. A huge local public issue is where do the buses go? Mm-hmm. We just had a whole thing about whether the bus would go out to the registrar's office or not. Mm-hmm. Right, it's like a scandaly sort of a thing here in Richmond. Um, for those who are not living in Richmond, uh, it, it was a it was a big deal, and that that decision is made at the local level. That decision is not made anywhere, not even at the gubernatorial level. Right. It's made at the city level, mm-hmm. and so those elections are enormously. I would argue they're in some ways more important to you than who the president is. I, I um, would agree. I would agree you with know, you. Your election matter i mean no matter what level they all matter they They do do. um so see and now you've heard it from an organizational expert not just from a poli sci (laughs) professor and from a librarian well a second librarian um but you you're now hearing it from all of us like you know like these elections matter but all elections matter Mm -hmm. the off elections matter like Mm -hmm. that drum as well we're not electing a, a governor this year we're electing in a governor next year Mm-hmm. That election is also going to be important, right? Mm-hmm. Governor right. is important. Yeah. Um, okay, so my my sort of last sort of area of I, I wanted to ask you about mm-hmm. was the the influence of um, mm-hmm. other forces <laughs> on how you pick or how you choose a leader. Okay, so. To, to take your hiring analogy, mm-hmm. I can ask to hire someone, but it has to go through the HR process and there has to be sort of the search has to be vetted and I can't have just picked a friend because that's not what we do in state government. We don't. One would hope so, yes. <laughs> right. I can't remember what that's called, but you're not yeah. supposed to do You're not supposed to do that, engage in that sort of behavior, right? You don't hire your buddy to be the lieutenant governor. Right? Well, here you vote for that. But anyway, yeah. like that's not how that works. Mm-hmm. There, there's a process by which somebody sort of checks and balances you. But also before I go into the hiring process, the last time I did this, my boss sat down with me and we talked about what I was looking for. Like she helped me sort of with guidance. Mm -hmm. Uh, She she made suggestions about, well, maybe this, you should think about this kind of person or this kind of experience or this kind of whatever. And it was great because it was from a different perspective than my perspective. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm asking, where do you think of what do you think the sort of the major, who are the major players in influencing how people pick, how people hire a politician? Well, I mean, we, we talked about a lot of those in, in the, you know, before, um, but I mean, we all get our information, you know, so one thing you, we talked about a little bit before we did this was the influence of people that aren't, you know, politicians. So we are all heavily influenced by that, whether we admit it or not, but we are, we are influenced. And so we have people that are, you know, in positions of perhaps power that aren't elected, that are influencing our decisions. And, and I can mention three of them, and there's a ton more, obviously our friends and our mother and everything else goes with <laughs> and, and even our coworkers, I mean, they're, they're influences as well. But, but I always think about the bureaucrats, you know, we talk about this hiring process um, bureaucrats are people that were hired to do a job, and oftentimes they are employed through several presidents. They have been on the job maybe for 30 years, so they've seen, you know, three, four, five, six presidents in that time. And, and, but they are, they are there, and they're kind of running the show, steering the boat, and they have different levels of influence. Some of them are very high levels. They had agencies. They're not elected. They're appointed. Um, and some, you know, some have behaved badly in the past. We have evidence of that way back, you know, and I 
you know, not mentioning names, but a, a, um, um, a uh, back in the 70s, we had some bureaucrats that were behaving badly and that got caught. Um, and, that, <laughs> and that has gone forward. So we're, we're think, okay with mentioning Mr. Nixon's career. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so yeah, I mean, so bureaucrats, people that are appointed have huge influence and I think it's much more uh, nuanced. I think it's much more behind the scenes. And I think sometimes we're influenced and we don't even realize it. It's very unconscious. So I think we have that to think about. Um, when, you know, pastors think about, you know, when you're, if you're associated with a, you know, a church, um, pastors, I mean, they counsel people, they go up and do their sermons every week. And, and the things that they say may really impact how people vote, how people look at the world. I mean, it's, it's a worldview that, you know, may, that could influence how you believe and how you think, you know, by going to church, you, you may not even realize it, but, but it may be something impacting you. Um, and then the media, which is, you know, now the media is, under the gun um, for some current activities that they've done in censorship. Um, and they, you know, they have huge power. They have huge power because that's how we're getting our information. You know, whether we get it watching the news, reading the newspaper, watching television, going online. I mean, all the different ways we all, you know, we each have different ways we get information and news and weather or whatever, but how that's presented is, is really can influence you to a great degree. And, and one of the things that um, my husband and I talk about is what is not reported. It's always interesting to listen to someone report. And then you know that there's something else that, you know, that you read about somewhere else and, and it doesn't get mentioned. And you thought, you think, huh, why didn't they mention that? They were going down this list and they left out this one thing. And why did they do that? So I think we have to recognize that we are influenced by that as well. That and maybe much more unconsciously than we than we think it is. So yeah, lots of interesting non-elected people. Um, we you know you talked about Beyonce. You said if Beyonce ran for president, she'd probably win. I don't doubt that, but that's <laughs> kind of scary because oh. what are her platforms? What does she believe? How is she going to govern? I, I don't know that. All I know is that I know her name and I like her and she's a good, you know, she's a great uh, singer and, and she's beautiful and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. So and she runs a business empire. So she yeah. does do that. Um, mm -hmm. But you're right. We don't know what her political, well, we know some of what her political stands are, but, right. but not at the level where you would actually hire somebody to be president. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think that's that's interesting that that you talked about um, the bureaucrats as influencers because I think that's really true that whatever you may feel about the leadership of certain agencies um, and right now I'm thinking the CDC they mm -hmm. are having an influence on the election. Mm -hmm. Um, whether they want to or not, whether they mean to or not, by sheer existence and by speaking publicly, mm -hmm. they're having an influence. And, and of course, the media, the problem with the media is that we have a tendency to listen to people who make us, who agree with us. And we have confirmation bias, confirmation bias. Absolutely. Yes. And we have a tendency to ignore people who don't as you know, ah, they're lunatics and they don't know anything, right? Like that's, we have a tendency to do that because that's just a human, a human function. And what we have to make ourselves do is listening to all, to all sides. And in fact, uh, I will take this moment to plug a website called All Sides, mm. where they take an issue and they show you from the left, from the center and from the right. Mm. And so you can look at the different views of that issue. Um, is it complete? No. But it's but it's a pretty nice start at hey try to try to figure out what you don't know because you're yeah. right what what you don't know is just as interesting and can be just as influential as what you do know. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely, I, I I just find it again fascinating. Again, if you can get away from the triggering and the emotional, you know, because we all are very emotional, we're very human, we react to 
what people say and what they do and how they act, you know, and, and we also, you know, we, we like certain, you know, newscasters or pundits and they become celebrities and, and that always is a problem. I think when they start, you know, when it's more important for them to be a personality than to actually report the news, I think that gets a little dicey. Oh my um, heck. Yeah. I completely agree. When, mm -hmm. When they're, when they're on Twitter and Facebook and they have websites and they're selling themselves, I think back to my, uh, I, okay, I now am entering my 800-year-old you kids get off my lawn moment for this podcast. <laughs> so just so you know, I think back to Walter Cronkite. I don't mm. think anybody knew anything about Walter Cronkite. I think people knew he was married mm -hmm. because he wore a wedding ring. Right. But like, and they knew he was nearsighted because he wore glasses, but I don't think they knew anything else about Walter, Walter Cronkite because he was not the news. And mm -hmm. in fact, he only became the news when he, when he reported something about Vietnam, when he reported that the government was not being accurate in the numbers they were releasing about mm -hmm. the deaths in Vietnam. And, and he regretted doing that later as far as making himself the story because mm -hmm. he, he's like i'm never supposed to be the story it should never be right you know who's standing there reporting it should only be the facts right and um and i find it fascinating that now about half the story is who's reporting it right it's their it's their opinion it's their punditry it's their whatever mm -hmm. and that i find um distressing because i think it's hard to find straight up news these mm -hmm. days it, it really is and it becomes you know kind of entertainment and right and then, you know you have you know everyone's got an opinion and they're not afraid to say it and so you're hearing <laughs> from all sides and celebrities and newscasters and everyone and, and so it's it's hard to feel like you're getting the whole story or the straight story from these people anymore and that's really a shame because you know we lose the opportunity to learn and to make better decisions because of that and i think that's that's not that's not in our favor i don't think well, and right now, when people are, um, for the most part, stuck at home and they're stuck at home with their media, they're, uh, as far as I can tell, not branching out to other, they're going down a, a deep rabbit hole of one mm -hmm. side or another. They're not, right. you know what I mean? They're not combining those rabbit holes mm -hmm. and ending up in a bunch of different places. They're kind of like, oh, I went to this side and they led me to this side and they led me to this side. And all of those are in the same arc mm -hmm. of, yeah. of opinion. Yeah. And when you're not, you know, interacting with people, I mean, I think, unfortunately, I, I love to talk politics, but I don't very much anymore because it's such a hot, it's a trigger. And I don't want my mother yelling at me. I don't want my, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to fight at the, the, at the Thanksgiving table. I just, right. you know, I don't want to do that. And so we end up not having what you're trying to do here in civil discourses. That's what I really wish we could go back to because I learn when I talk to someone that can, you know, has completely different views and we can have a conversation and maybe neither of us change our minds but we don't hate each other and we haven't said things we're going to regret. I mean, I have tons of friends that have very different political views. I mean, I'm really happy to say that and we can have a conversation and we haven't gotten to the point where we've called each other names or, you know, <laughs> said, I, I don't, you know, and kick me off Facebook or whatever it is. I, you know, I think that civil discourse is truly, truly important. And I think, unfortunately, we've kind of lost the art of civil discourse. So I really appreciate what you're doing because I think you're trying to bring that art form back. And, and have us, you know, remember how important that is. Oh, thank you. We we aim to do that as much as we can. Um, sometimes we slide to one side or another, but we try to be uh, as um, friendly to all ears as we can. Mm -hmm. And so um, thank you for that. I would like to remind people um, that it is, uh, we're recording this in the third week of October. Um, you'll hear this in the third week of October, rather. And uh, so there's just a couple weeks left to the election. If you have not voted and you are registered to vote, um, please either pick up your ballot and vote um, or mail it in or go vote on voting day, which is what I'm going to do. Um, 
November 3rd, which is Thank the you. first Tuesday after the first Monday in November, which I remind people is in the Constitution. Uh, <laughs> but um, please vote because your vote counts not individually, but in the aggregate. In the aggregate, as we all vote, we all make group decisions. That's the awesomeness of, of representative democracy. So um, I would encourage you to, and I would encourage you to, again, uh, we mentioned it before, but please do um, pull down your ballot from your, from your elections, uh, your state elections board, look at it ahead of time so that you can read the dense paragraphs at the bottom and have an idea of what they say so that you can figure out who these people are so you know who you're voting for and um, and you're not just voting because their name sounds cool or familiar. Um, although, you know what, if that's what it takes to get you in the booth, I'm okay with that. I, I, I'm okay with you doing that rather than not voting at all. So if my choice is research or not voting, I vote do vote no matter what um, because your voice does count in the aggregate and it's important that you vote and and most importantly local elections um or you know you do your vote does count in that absolutely yes. so well that's true because those yeah. are decided sometimes by 100 or 200 votes yep. i'm sorry i should have said in the in the presidential realm it's an aggregate uh importance but at the local level you're right it is intensely important that you vote mm -hmm. and yep. if you're a richmond listener um the mayor is the mayorship is up for election this year so and that's huge 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 mm -hmm. so do please go vote and thank you so much patty for coming back um, i'm glad i didn't scare you off the last time not at all this was great really appreciated a chance to chat about this and uh lots of food for thought Yes, thank you yes. so much and I'll talk to you again soon. Okay, thanks. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.